I think an important question for us to wrestle with as Christians is why did the church adopt the cross as our central symbol? I mean, it seems a little odd, a little strange that this is our symbol, the thing that reminds us of Jesus' death. If you think of all the other founders of religions, they all seem to die old and successful. Moses, he gets the children of Israel to the promised land. He's full of years, over 100 years old when he dies. Buddha, he lives to 80, achieves enlightenment. Muhammad lives into his 60s, doesn't die until he unites all of Arabia under one faith. So they all died old and successful. But then you have Jesus over here in stark contrast. He dies at the age of 33, a shameful death, a death of immense suffering, abandoned by his followers. Now you can understand how someone might look at the life of Moses or or Buddha or Muhammad and think, God was with them. Look at all that they achieved in their lives. I want to follow them. But who would look at Jesus and the cross and say, that's the one I want to follow. The one who died three years into his public ministry. The one who died this incredibly shameful death, again, abandoned by his followers. That's who I want to follow. But you know what? People did. Right after Jesus' death, the church explodes. And the church grew at an exponential rate and continues to grow, continues to transform lives. And it does this with the cross as its central symbol. John Stott, a Christian writer, says this. He says, the fact that the cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians refused, despite of ridicule, to discard it in place of something less offensive can only have one explanation. It means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus himself. You see, what he's saying is that no one would look at the cross and say, I want that to be the central paradigm of my life. No one would do that. And therefore, the only reason that the cross has become the center of the church's life is because, as John Stott says, Jesus explained it himself. On the night before Jesus died, he gave the disciples an interpretation of the cross, the explanation of his death. So that afterwards, after it was all over, they could look back and say, that's what it was all about. This is why he didn't did it. It didn't just happen, but rather Jesus did this for us. Now, where do we find this explanation? Well, we find it in our reading tonight. It happened in that upper room. It happened at that last meal where Jesus instituted the sacrament of Eucharist and explained it to them. Now, there is so much to say about this last night, so much to say about the Eucharist. But two things I want to quickly talk about this evening. First, I want to talk about why Jesus uses the Passover meal to explain his death. 
And then second, I want to talk about why we are told continually to re-engage and relive, reenact this meal. So why the Passover meal and why we're called to continually re-engage this meal that Jesus instituted. So first, let's talk about the Passover. Our reading tonight from Luke 20, 22, it begins with Jesus telling the disciples to prepare for the Passover meal. And after they prepare, they sit down at the meal, and Jesus begins by saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I've eagerly desired to share this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Now again, why does Jesus deliberately choose the Passover as the moment to reveal the meaning of his suffering and death? Well, what was the Passover? Well, the Passover is the meal that the Israelites ate the night before they were liberated from Egypt. The night before they were set free by God from slavery. God told them to eat this meal. And God said, I want you to eat this meal every year, year after year, because I don't want you to forget this night. I don't want you to forget how I saved you. And therefore, year after year, the Jews ate this Passover meal, still do today. And so in our reading, we're told that Jesus begins the Passover meal with his disciples. And to begin it, he gets up and he takes a cup of wine and he blesses it. He give, gives thanks for it. That's how the Passover meal typically begins. The presider, the, the head of the family would, would stand up, take a cup of wine. He would give thanks. And then a question would be asked of him. Typically, it's the youngest person in the room who asks the question. And they would ask, why is tonight different from all other nights? And then the presider would speak and begin to explain the meaning of the Passover. And he would do so generally by reading from Deuteronomy, because in Deuteronomy you get an explanation of the Passover. So, for example, he might read from Deuteronomy chapter 26. He would say, Our forefathers, our ancestors, they were slaves, but God looked upon their affliction. And then maybe from Deuteronomy 16, he would say, you see this bread, this bread right here? This is the bread of our affliction, the bread our ancestors ate in the wilderness. And so the head of the household would talk and would explain the meaning of the suffering and liberation of the Jewish people from Egypt. And so on this night that we read about, Jesus again, he stands up, he picks up his cup, and it looks like this is going to be a normal Passover meal. But then he begins to say the most astonishing things, things that have never been said before at a Passover meal. First, he says that the meal that we are eating tonight does not have reference to the past, but to the future. He says, we're not going to eat this meal again until we eat it in the kingdom. 
So he's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. But second, and this is the most astounding thing, he does not say that this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the wilderness. No, he says, this is the bread of my affliction. This is my body. And just as this bread has to be broken for you to be fed, so my body has to be broken. My life has to be poured out for you to have life. Now again, Jesus deliberately chooses this Passover meal to explain his death. And this is what he's saying. He's saying years ago, God's people, they ate a meal the night before God redeemed them from political and economic slavery. But tonight we eat a meal because God is about to redeem you from sin and evil and death itself. He says, I am the true Moses. And this is the ultimate exodus that's about to happen. Because you're about to be set free. Set free from evil, from sin and death. I will die for you. I will be betrayed. I will suffer. And I will be lifted up on a cross for you. This night is different from every other night. Because my death and my resurrection will set you free. You know, I find it so interesting that Jesus explains his death through a meal. Could have done it any number of other ways. But the night before he dies, he explains his death by using a meal. And I think that's important. Two things that strike me about a meal. First, a meal has to be personally appropriated. Okay, personally appropriated. You know, you can look at a table of food and say, yep, that looks like a delicious steak. Look at that dessert. That's an amazing cake. But there's no nutritional value that comes in seeing a meal. No nutritional value in recognizing the existence of a meal. Even if you praise a meal, there's no nutritional value. You can starve to death doing that. In the same way, you can believe in the cross. You can believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead for you. But that doesn't matter unless you personally appropriate it. Have you made that step? That step that says, God, I'm going to base my relationship with you on this. Not on what I've done in my life but on what Jesus has done on the cross. Have you personally made it your own? Have you said, he did this for me, and I'm going to live my life on the basis of that? So first, a meal, just like the cross, has to be personally appropriated. But then second, second thing that strikes me about a meal is that it has to be continually appropriated. You never hear someone say, you know, I had this incredible meal back in 1985, and I've never eaten since. No. You have to keep eating to live. 
Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is calling us to think out the cross and to continually be returning to it, basing our life on it, remembering the cross over and over again every day. And I know it's hard right now that we, that we can't gather together to celebrate this meal. We can't receive the bread together. We can't receive the wine together. But we can still remember. We can still re-engage. We can put the cross at the center of our life every day. Do this in remembrance of me. As we said at this Passover meal, Jesus was standing, presiding over it. And as he did this, the disciples would have been looking at him and they would have noticed something really strange. They would have looked at the table in front of him and they would have seen the wine. They would have seen the unleavened bread. But they would have realized something's missing. Where is the main course? In the story of Exodus that we read tonight, God told his people to kill a lamb, to roast it, and then to take its blood and to smear it on the doorpost of the house. And the angel of judgment, the angel that came to bring judgment to Egypt, would pass over their house because the angel would see the blood of the lamb. Now, during the time of Jesus, at every Passover meal, you would have a roasted lamb to remember that night, to remember God's mercy, God's faithfulness, and his grace. But at this meal, the disciples would have noticed there is no lamb on the table. And there's no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table, the lamb that would be slain for them. Tonight, we remember this sacred meal that Jesus instituted, instituted to explain what was about to happen, that he would give his life for us. His body would be broken. His life would be poured out for us so that we might receive his life, the life that transforms us and changes everything. Amen.